0: Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Pacino, and I'm very excited to have the one and only Mr. Adam Bernard on with us today. Adam, how you doing, my friend?
1: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We're indoors. It is pouring rain right now while we're recording this, and we're indoors, so I'm all good.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation. Um, you and I have met uh, at two consecutive Blake Morgan live shows at Rockwood Music Hall. Shout out to Blake for being trem- trem- tremendous musician. Um, and uh, yeah, we just had a really good time getting to know you over those two times, and I thought it was a no-brainer to have you on the podcast, so I'm excited to have you on today. Um, can you give a, a quick introduction of yourself to the listeners?
1: Uh, the the quick introduction, the, the quick and dirty is I am a old school music journalist. I've been writing about music for almost 22 years now. Wow. Um, back in the day, I had a newspaper column. I used to write for print publications. I have a very long running blog. Um, I work with individual artists as well. Uh, I am also an author and a lifelong martial artist. Those last two are combined because I'm another also. I'm also a cancer survivor, uh, five years in remission, and I wrote a book about beating cancer while training for my fifth-degree black belt. Wow. And long-suffering Mets fan. So (laughs) depending on when you listen to this podcast, if the Mets have won the World Series, I may be celebrating. Uh,
0: I I think you and I both know that sitting here on October 5th, that is not going to be happening. It's Um...
1: absolutely a possibility (laughs) – we are one of the teams that can still do this. So whether you listen to this podcast in October, November, 2022, 2042, I will be celebrating if we have won this world series.
0: Uh I mean there there has been a pretty bad couple-week run uh, for that team, um, which, you know, as, as a Yankee fan, we had probably one of the worst Augusts I've ever witnessed in the entirety of my fandom. Um, so I, I know what you're going through right now. It's not not the best time. Um, but talk to me about writing. You know, so obviously you've been in the industry for a very long time. Um, how'd you get your start? Was it something you always did, like high school, college, and, and sort of what made you want to be a journalist?
1: Uh, I, high school was sort of the start of, really taking writing seriously. Uh, I went to a high school, Fairfield Prep in Fairfield, Connecticut, that took writing very seriously. You had to take a writing test before you're allowed to advance from, I believe it was sophomore to junior year. Mm -hmm. And it was also around that time, I kind of realized I was not going to be good enough at sports to do anything in sports other than write about it. Mm -hmm. So at first, I was a sports journalist um, throughout college. And a year after college I, I wrote for the local paper here And covered college football And all sorts of high school sports The stuff that you know, The stuff that you get sent to do When you're the low man on the totem pole mm-hmm. So uh, it, I may have known nothing about high school girls soccer But I was sent to cover a <laughs> high school girls soccer game In the rain
0: Yeah, uh,
1: And it was there Where I met a couple other Of the local reporters And I realized They were twice my age And they were on the same beat yeah. And I said to myself, is this a place where I'm going to be able to grow? Or is this a place where I'm going to be stuck in this position for a very long time? Mm-hmm. So I sort of racked my brain, one of my other loves in life, music. And at that point, I, I wrote up a couple sort of mock album reviews. This was in the, I don't want to say infancy of the internet, but very early on. We're talking 2000, 2001. Um, sent them out to some websites. One of them said, Hey, we like you. You want to keep doing this? So I started there and then I started booking interviews. You know, you get the press release, it has an email address or a phone number back then. Uh, so you contact them and say, Hey, is so and so available for an interview? And they said, Heck yeah, this internet thing's new and cool. <laughs> so <laughs> I got a lot of interviews that way. Actually, uh, there are a couple websites that have large archives of my interviews, including my own.
0: That's pretty awesome. Uh, it, the times have certainly changed quite a bit when it comes to that. Um, how have you sort of gone about creating your, um, interview style? Um, I'm, I'm enthralled by journalists. I think to some degree I, I, uh, you know, fashion myself as like the, uh, podcasting, you know, shitty version of like a good interviewer. Um, I, 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 you know, fail to say Joe Rogan because he's just an incredibly polarizing person. But I like the idea of having conversations with people and getting to know them better. And then in turn, you sort of start to learn uh, a bit about yourself. Um, but talk to me about how you sort of like grew from you know infancy, you know, sending out emails and phone calls on press releases to like what you're doing now full time and and sort of how your your in, in uh, interview style has has grown over the over the course of that career.
1: It definitely has grown, and I'm sure you're over a hundred podcasts deep. If you listen to like your first few versus <laughs> your most recent few, you're like, "That's ah, still on the internet and I'm <laughs> going to keep it there because people are going to listen. But Jesus, yeah, I've, I've got stuff from like 18 years ago on the internet where I look and I say, I'm so much better than I was then, mm-hmm. but it's still good to have a record of, it shows that yeah, basically. Like, I agree. Look at this, growth. That's awesome. And I know sometimes the internet doesn't want to allow for that. They mm-hmm. want perfection you know, or to give the illusion of perfection, um, the entire time. But it's like, no, 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 I did this before and I thought it was great. And it was probably great at the time, but 18, 20 years later, wow, so much different. And you brought up an interesting point of, you learn about yourself and that's true. Um, I started out with what I would call like the basic interview of learning about the artist and the project they were working on. And, you know, some historical stuff, because certain artists I was interested in, you know, things they did back in the day. Uh, But it grew. I can't give an exact point where it grew, but I became more interested in the human interest aspect of things Mm -hmm. because I found it, well, one, I found it to be more evergreen. One of the things I always loved about magazine journalism is that you expected it To not just be picked up the day it's on the newsstand, but to still be relevant if someone saw it on, you know, a coffee table three months from then. Mm -hmm. And I try my best, even when I'm writing about something that's current, to make the interview more evergreen. If someone finds it six months from now on a search engine and clicks on it, they'll still say, wow, this is really interesting. This is stuff I didn't know. I love finding out stuff no one knows. Um, I love digging into the human aspect of artists because everyone's a human being Mm -hmm. and i love general conversations i mean you mentioned at the start of this having a conversation uh, a laid back conversation and one thing i told a buddy of mine when he was trying to he's an editor trying to get more human interest from some of his writers we sort of fell on this concept of an interview should make you want to have a cup of coffee or a beer with this person.
0: Right, mm-hmm. well, I like that.
1: Yeah. It, and if you can draw that out, if you can make someone be like, wow, this is, you know, this is someone I like to have a beer with, this is someone I like to have a cup of coffee with, I think that makes a really good interview.
0: You know, I'm really glad you said that because, like, now that I think about how I digest, you know, long form interviews whether it's a podcast or or you know a magazine article I inevitably find myself drawn to writers and then their subjects accordingly to that like to the thought of like oh like I read a really interesting piece on I'm sure you read it it went viral Uh, the Jeremy Strong piece that was circulating last year I think it was the Hollywood Reporter or something and it just came off like he's a very, very insufferable person because of the way he stays in character the whole time and like just very difficult and I took it kind of the other way like he is so devoted to his craft like which I found wildly impressive and and the manner in which the writer was able to like get and develop this story was like wow that would be a really interesting person to have a conversation with but i never thought about it as like the beer test like do i want to have sit down and have a conversation over a beer with person i, I like that a lot
1: <laughs> that that's really you know because some people will come off as un- insufferable mm-hmm. like let, let's face it no one's gonna have a good interview with kanye west
0: if he <laughs> ever yeah no true. one's gonna
1: have a good interview with him. he's insufferable yeah so yeah, you don't want to have a beer with him, which is why I just don't pay attention to him most of the time.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I could not possibly agree more. I uh, I struggle with there is, or at least there used to be, a significant amount of creative genius that he possessed. Um, but I think he is so devoid of who that person was now um, that it will be pretty much impossible for him ever to, you know, I. I struggle to say that be normal again but i think that's ultimately he's just so far uh, you know a beyond ego that it's nothing that's recoverable
1: <laughs> and then it's art versus artist when you hear him even the old stuff Yeah, it's like art versus artist everyone has that line that they draw where they're like all right no more
0: yeah no i i, I reached my peak kanye like Six years ago, so I'm I'm with you on that. Um, talk to me about uh, repeat guests. Uh, do you ever have the opportunity to like reconnect with artists that you wrote about four five, six years ago? And how does that sort of secondary conversation um, grow? And do you try to sort of tap into a different aspect of of their life of their art than previously?
1: Absolutely. Uh, whenever I do a secondary interview, I make sure it's a totally different interview. Um, I have a couple different types of interview features on my website. Um, so I can always just be like, Hey, we did this type last time. We're going to do this type this time. Um, I have one called uh, eight things you should know about, which I totally stole from a website I used to write for. <laughs> Some people may have heard of it. It's called MySpace, uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, the number eight was so big with MySpace. So one of the features is like eight things you should know about. And after they stopped using original writers and original content, I was like, this is just a dope concept. I'm going to use it. I like that. Um, so it's, and it works, especially when you're trying to introduce someone to an artist. It's not as heavy as a full Q and A where someone's like, why am I reading this Q and A if I don't know who they are? She's mm-hmm. like, Hey, here's eight things about this artist, or even if it's four things. And I also use that in my, uh, my show reviews, which I just three reasons you should see this artist live boom, they're, they're, those are quick. Those are like five 600 words, three reasons. Here, go find this great indie band when they're in your town. Uh, my favorite type of interview, which only works with certain types of artists, is called Stacking the Deck. Mm-hmm. I've been doing these for a handful of years. Back in 1990 or 91, there was a card company called ProSet. They oh, yeah. used to make four football cards hockey cards and for a year they made music cards oh and i procured a couple boxes sealed boxes of these things and i will give two packs to an artist they open it up and then choose usually between like three and six that they want to talk about in some way shape or form and that guides the conversation i love that Uh, They're really fun interviews. I feel like I've done probably like 40 or 50 of them that way. And I've learned throughout the years it, because of the time difference, those cards are artists of the eighties, early nineties, and then classic artists. So when I'm dealing with artists in their teens or (laughs) twenties, it doesn't work as well unless they have like a classic rock vibe or when I'm dealing with an artist from overseas, they won't know a lot of these artists because even though our pop culture travels, it doesn't all travel.
0: Yeah. So the- I, I, I love that concept. I think that's really, really unique. I like that a lot. Um, I'm going to have to start digesting some of those soon. That, that's awesome. Um, talk to me about the life of a freelancer. I mean, I am a full time freelance photographer, um, videographer, podcast host, like, you, you know, you name it, I slap my name on it and, and try to profit off of it. Um, but talk to me a bit about the ups and downs of, of a freelance writer, um, especially in the digital age.
1: I mean, I was very lucky to have a friend who's a handful years older than me, who I also consider a mentor, uh, my good friend, Paul Gargano. Um, He has been doing this longer than I have. And when I started freelancing and at one point I got bummed because I wasn't getting a lot of work. And he's like, listen, this is a roller coaster. You're going to have ups. You're going to have downs. You just have to realize whenever there's a down, you're coming back up again. And also, whenever you're all the way up, don't get too crazy because you're going to have to deal with a dip at some point in time, Mm -hmm. Um, which is also good advice for finances. Um, It's like, hey, all the money's coming in. No, don't party. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You're going to need that. Yes, but I'm having fun. No, you're going to need that again. Uh, It's it's quite the ride. It's uh, a lot of pitching. Um, once you're established, sometimes publications will come to you. Mm -hmm. I will say my blog has acted as one part website, one part living resume, and that has been really advantageous over the years. One of my favorite gigs was I wrote a biweekly column for the now defunct Fairfield County Weekly, which was our version of the Village Voice. Mm hmm. So I had this weekly column, bi-weekly column. It was syndicated throughout all those weekly papers throughout Connecticut because there was a Fairfield one, a New Haven one, a Hartford one. And they found me through my website. Wow. And they said, hey, we really like what you're doing. Can you do that for us? We'll give you money. Yeah. And I said, well, that sounds like a fair deal. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let's do that. And it, I did that for about three years before they uh, went the way of print. And that was a sad day, but uh, it was, it was great. Um, one of those columns was the first time I got death threats for writing a column. So that was super fun. That is not fun. It's <laughs> <is> not fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was fun because of who was giving me the death threats. Um, it was, uh, I don't normally say the word trigger warning, but trigger warning, domestic violence. It was at the time uh, Chris Brown had just beaten up Rihanna. Mm-hmm. And it was a few months after that, like six months after that. And he was about to be on the cover of Vibe magazine. He was about to do a comeback tour. And I basically wrote a column saying like, hey, too soon. And also fame is a privilege. I'm not saying he should never work anywhere again, but maybe be out of the limelight for a very long time. Yeah, Um, Rehabilitate. There are a lot of other jobs in this world. You're super rich. You can go to college. You can find another avenue here we don't have to m- keep you famous now. And right. I brought up the right. fact that, you know, Ike Turner was basically a pariah for two decades. Mm-hmm. And that was appropriate. And, oh my gosh, this was reprinted on the Fairfield Weekly website and the comment section, whew,
0: That's it pretty was warm. all That's pretty young
1: warm. women it was all young women who are chris brown fans who were who were throwing death threats at me and i was like you don't get this do you
0: yeah, so that's uh, that's pretty wild. Um, I I, uh, I I did a bit of internet writing um, for Elite Daily, Thought Catalog, uh, Good Men Project, like a bunch of these like online publications. <clears throat> um, you know, maybe ten years ago at this point, point. Um, and I wrote an article that went insanely viral. Um, which, when I read it back uh, recently, it just made me want to vomit in my mouth. It was so poorly written and just such trash. Um, but it was wild to experience having like people who loved it and then an equal number of people who hated it. And I had never experienced something like that on the internet before, where I was getting tons, you know, dozens and dozens of tweets per hour of people like, fuck you, you're a misogynist. And then like other people were like, oh my God, I love you. Like, this is such a great piece of writing, like, blah, blah and i struggled with that i was like oh i i had i like really leaned into it and turned into it and like you know maybe my career and my life would be completely different but i think in in some degrees like all those things sort of happen for a reason um but yeah man that that old internet backlash is, is uh is a wild one
1: yeah and you mentioned tweets <laughs> oh my gosh dude like <laughs>
0: It's a tough place to be a person who earns a living via the internet. Um, it's it's not easy, especially when you have a job where you're going to form some opinion on a person, a band. You know, it's it's there's going to be people who love you and hate you for whatever you create.
1: And and one change I made, uh, pretty early on. I want to say a handful of years, maybe it was ten years into my career, but somewhere around there, five to ten year mark. I decided I wasn't going to write negative stories for the most part. Uh, I said to myself, you know, there's so much good stuff out there. Let me promote the good. Let me write about the good. Because every time I wrote about the bad, I was basically taking time away from the stuff that I felt other people should be listening to. Mm -hmm. I did that after having a couple negative articles do really well. But I was like, I didn't feel good about it afterwards they're still up too those articles are still up but i I was just like this isn't the way i want to do things
0: i totally get that i mean it's an unfortunate byproduct again of the internet where like negativity sells like anything that's inherently going to draw drama and and backlash is going to be something that's going to get a lot of clicks um and i could see why publications would want you to go that route but I, i i kind of have to commend you for to, for taking that sort of position when it comes to your work because, you know, at the end of the day, that's like a lot of stuff to deal with when, you know, you don't want to necessarily have to deal with, like, the the internet drama.
1: Yeah, it's it can get you a lot of clicks, but also those people who are clicking on that and then reacting, they're not coming back. Yeah,
0: never. Nope. I they're
1: not. Agree. It's a one-time read. They're not coming back. They're not following you. They're not going to care about the, the artist you want people to listen to. And I mean, when we're younger and even when we're in our like, 20s, we do that thing that's terrible when recommending music, when we're like, you like so-and-so, they suck, you should listen to this. <laughs> Who would listen to that after that <laughs> introduction, after insulting someone's taste and yeah. telling them what they should
0: listen to? Yeah. you know, like
1: I- at, at worst, you should say like, oh, you like that? That's cool. Maybe you should give this person a try too.
0: People get extremely um, aggressive when it comes to music tastes. Um, It's funny to me because like people who really, really love music should be bonded just based solely on the fact that they love and appreciate music. And yet it is such a hotly divisive sort of art form. Because like you just said, like if you're like, oh, I love XYZ artists and and it then and then there's just so much immediate negative feedback around that stuff like people are are so like up and uppity about what your tastes say about like who you are as a person. Like I've found myself in many of uh, conversations mostly in the borough of Brooklyn <laughs> talk, yeah. talking to people about music and it's like, okay, I can't even tell you what I like because you're gonna judge me and, and what what does it mean? I just like music. <laughs>
1: you don't know so-and-so you can't really like music
0: yeah i'm like, sorry i don't know this obscure berlin bass band from 1978 that had a four record lp i'm like sorry i don't know
1: this is one hit wonder from 1982 <laughs> that you somehow have all 12 albums of. that's great
0: yeah yeah but that's not yeah. indicative of my music's taste at all um i i uh i'm very unabashed about my goal of being a tour musician, photographer. Um, I, I've i put it into the universe a million times. I want to hit the road with John Mayer and just enjoy the revelry of taking his photograph or, around the world. Um, he, and he went to
1: high school down the street from where I am right now.
0: Oh, no kidding. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Uh, I yeah. live one mile from his... Well, and I just told everyone where I, lived, but I, <laughs> I live. Okay. I live right down the street from his high school. Uh,
0: <laughs> That's okay. He was
1: one year ahead of me. Um, I was at a different high school in the same town. Um, one of my buddies used to be in a band with his
0: brother. Oh, that's cool. Um, Yeah. yeah. So it's like my, my, my dream is to hit the road and travel and be able to earn a living on the road, you know, being able to enjoy live music, document the experience. And, and that's like my goal, um, as a writer, um, do you have any dream subjects to profile interview? Do you have anyone that you have either already accomplished that goal or people that you still would like to interview?
1: Uh, well, the cool thing was I got to interview a lot of my favorite hip-hop artists back in the day because I was working for all these hip-hop publications mm-hmm. and websites. So very, I, I think I got to interview some people very early on that I wouldn't say I shouldn't have been able to interview, <laughs> but I would like to re-interview better. <laughs> yeah. um, I interviewed LL Cool J pretty early on in my career, and it was in person. And I will admit, that was one of the rare times where I was legitimately nervous to be in someone else's presence. I was like, this is freaking LL Cool J, man. This is Mama Said Knock You Out. I grew up in this guy's music. Yeah, Um, But he was one of the nicest people in the world. Uh,
0: Funny story. All World was my very first rap CD ever purchased.
1: Nice. Yeah. I still have the Mama Said Knock You Out cassette. (laughs) Nice. Uh, So I I got through some of my hip-hop idols. I really loved interviewing, because I I think I was actually good at the time. I got to interview Riza. Oh, cool. Um, that was awesome. Uh, I got some amazing stories at Drew Ha, founder of Duck Down Records.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's just a long list of like really big hip-hop artists I was able to speak with. And I, I did the elemental cover story on Danger Doom. So I got to interview MF Doom. Rest in peace. Wow. Uh, that was that was a big one. In, in terms of who I'd still like to interview Man, that list has got to be so weird at this point because <laughs> a, a lot of the artists I'm interested in aren't huge. Mm-hmm. And the ones that are huge that I'd want to talk to, I really love interviewing artists from the 80s and 90s because most of them don't have a filter anymore because they've made their money. Mm-hmm. And they can tell stories. Yeah, Like the, the ultimate guy you want to have a beer with is Mark McGrath.
0: Oh yeah. That's surprising. He
1: is an amazing storyteller. One of the nicest people in the world. But yeah, he, he, I could listen to him for days and days and days. Um, he's an incredible interview. A guy I would love to interview. I grew up on his music. Um, Weird Al, I think would be a, just such a fun person to speak with.
0: I'm looking... um, he
1: always seems so down to earth
0: i'm looking forward to the uh biopic coming out it looks very good from a trailer yeah
1: yeah and he's in full support of it so that's nice uh and other artists like you'd have to dial it all the way back to like the 70s the 60s some some 80s artists um unfortunately a lot of my favorite artists from those eras are no longer with us yeah so that makes it tougher um but Ouija boards are pretty
0: impressive
1: nowadays. Never <laughs> know. You
0: never know. Nice. You never know. <laughs> um, I mean, listen, it's 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 wild when your creative life and your work life are the same thing. Because for me, this is like a new experience, right? I've only been a full-time photographer for two years now. So earning an income, doing something that I love, was nothing that I ever experienced before. Because I was always working in corporate America. Um, but anytime that, even at the the jump of a career, you're you're able to sort of check monumental. You know, people or experiences off your life bucket list. I think that's, um, you know, very informative of, of who you are as as a, as a writer and an and an interviewer. Um,
1: I just like to point out how impressive it is that you you said that you've been able to do it over the past two years, which are. Without a doubt, the two most difficult years to do anything tour and photography related. <laughs> so you you managed to to break in at a time when touring didn't even happen.
0: Well, to be and fair, it's really I, impressive. I've only done my first tour last week. I went for four shows in four days. So it's not like I've gone out mm. anywhere to report yet. Mostly, my music photography takes place in the tri state area: New York, New Jersey. Um, sometimes Philly. Um, but yeah, the uh, the goal is for 2023, you know, I, I've put myself into a position where I've built out the roadmap for where I'm going to be able to start getting booked for stuff. Um, but it took two years, you know, I lost my job during the pandemic. And I, I pretty much was in a position where I, I needed to figure out something that was going to make me happy. Like I, I was making a lot of money in corporate America and I was miserable. I was full of anxiety. I was just depressed. Like life wasn't like enjoyable anymore. I wasn't having fun. I wasn't happy. Um, and it, it's one of those weird things where, you know, life, I am a firm believer of sort of unfolds for you when it's supposed to. And it was just one of those perfect examples of right place right time things falling into place and you know the rest is is history so to speak
1: (laughs) honestly that's sort of how i got my start as well because i was writing for like a media planning and buying company Mm -hmm. and it was horrible i i dreaded going into work well there i had a few friends there who i'm still friends with but some of my immediate people i had to deal with were awful Mm -hmm. and i was finally laid off um because the boss's granddaughter needed a job. Oh, nice. But I was like, what am I going to do with this unemployment? I'm going to go build a career that I want. That's awesome. And that's how I did it. I was like, I have free money coming to me. Let's consider that payment for all this free work I'm about to do and, and build.
0: I love that. I, I, I very much I, did the same thing. Yeah, I love that.
1: I think a lot of people could do that. Um, it's, I don't know if there's fear I don't know what the deal is, but when someone loses their job, if they have a dream, it's like, okay, you have X amount of weeks to see if you can make that happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why I, uh, not? I, I, I'm a big proponent of that. I think the unfortunate byproduct of that is like all of the, you know, anxiety and depression that goes along with losing a job, let alone the fact that I lost mine during the pandemic. It was yeah. earth shattering. Right. But if you're one of those people that are afforded the opportunity to look inward in life at any point, right? Whether it's you're up for a new job, promotion, career change, whatever it is, like if you can, like retro, you know, in the moment, understand that this is a monumental moment in your life that you can then make a, a categorical shift in your life, then it can be a, a tremendously powerful moment. Um, And I think I just got lucky. Like I was able to recognize the fact that if I went around, you know, went about doing the same thing over and over and over again, I was never going to get anywhere in life. Um, And, you know, when, when I changed and I, and I sort of made this shift from my career perspective, everything started working. Like I'm, I'm happier, I'm healthier, like just life is better. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm immensely grateful for that. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious how your battle with cancer sort of impacted both your work and and personal life because, you know, as a freelancer, I would imagine when you have to take a significant amount of time away from doing your work and getting jobs and getting paid um, to deal with something as serious as cancer, that can be extremely stressful. Can you talk to me a little bit about that situation?
1: Well, here's the thing I never missed a deadline and I worked out six days a week. I, uh, that the book. Chemo, embracing beast mode to be cancer, that was my beast mode. Uh, my editor at the time, who's giving me the most work, was like, Hey, if you want to take time off, you know, your columns will still be there. But of course, as a freelancer, you know, anytime you hear that, you think, Someone's going to take my job and they're going to like them better than me. And I'm never going to, yeah. So yeah. I was like, No, no, let me do this. Um, one of the things I talk about in the book when it comes to working while going through surgery and chemo is that it provides a sense of normalcy that is so necessary and so good while mm-hmm. you're going through something so major.
0: Yeah.
1: It's like, I was still doing interviews. I was still writing like two or three weekly columns. Um, I was still booking things. One of my favorite moments was I, uh, I, I had done an interview with Dia Frampton, who I love, I think just what a gorgeous voice, what a gorgeous person. Uh, and Ironically, I think it was about like getting through tough times in life, <laughs> uh, which I, I'd done the interview before I was diagnosed with cancer. But I was like, well, this turned out to be oddly prescient. Uh, and I'm a big proponent of getting things in early. If, if it's at the deadline, it's late. Mm-hmm. So my editor had this and she moved it up because someone else had flaked. And I was sitting there in chemo you know, getting drugs through my arm and everything. And I get this email and she's like, oh, by the way, we're moving up your Dia Frampton interview. Um, Someone flaked. I go, that's awesome. By the way, can you tell the person who flaked the kid with chemo just got his (laughs) stuff on in time? What's wrong with you?
0: Yeah, fucking (laughs) really.
1: (laughs) So that it just it provided this great sense of normalcy. Um, My chemo was aggressive Mm -hmm. because that's how you deal with testicular cancer. Um, It was surgery, three rounds of chemo, and then another surprise surgery. Super fun.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Because the cancer had spread. It was awesome. Uh, (laughs) But my chemo was three rounds uh, of three weeks each. Okay. Five days a week, then one day a week, one day a week. So for the five days a week, I would wake up, have breakfast, fold up my laptop, bring it in, and just, you know, answer emails, book interviews do whatever for the you know handful of hours i was there and then come home have lunch go to the gym um use whatever energy i had while i still had it and uh just kept going with life my my concept was i'm gonna treat this like an aggravation Mm -hmm. and it it was but yeah still just got through everything like i said never missed a deadline didn't miss a workout
0: how do you maintain like a positive mental outlook when you're you know, dealing with something so major.
1: I, uh, I've always had a pretty positive mindset, at least for the past, I don't know, like fifteen or so years. I had some negative influences in my life before then. Um, some people I called friends who maybe were negative all the time, and sort of once I, I wouldn't say I kicked them out of my life, but I slowly transitioned away from them, mm-hmm. and I noticed like, oh, everything's kind of sunnier now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I had read. Uh, shortly before I was diagnosed, uh, the art of peace, oh. which is, uh, a book full of teachings by the founder of the martial art, Aikido, uh, he, one of his disciples wrote them down cause he never wrote anything down. Um, so I actually have a few of them printed out on my refrigerator to sort of remember these things. And they all made sense to me for the most part. There were a few that were, I was like, what, but they all made sense to me. So I was living this very peaceful lifestyle and very positive lifestyle. And to me, when you get such a horrible diagnosis, what's the point of being negative and drowning in it? It's like, that's not going to help the situation. Mm -hmm. If anything, that negativity will make things worse. So it's like, okay, I've got this thing. I'm going to beat it. I just have to go through these steps. The steps are awful, but just have to get through it. And I got to say, I went through a lot of doctors before I found the one I wanted to work with. Um, The nurses were absolutely amazing. Some of the best people you will ever meet on the planet. Um, They always kept people's spirits up. And at the time, the office I went to, to get the chemo done, had a room where everyone was together. Mm -hmm. Um, They no longer have it that way, which I'm bummed about, but when you're together with all these people and we're all going through something, not, not everyone's going through cancer, but we're all going through something. And, you know, a couple people in that room are terminal, a couple of them aren't going to make it. And everyone's got a bright spirit. Like everyone knows, Hey, we're going through this. It's life. Um, One of the brightest spirits in that room was a woman who was terminal. Mm -hmm. She was always cracking jokes, always had a smile on her face, always laughing. And it's like, if she can be like that, I accept no FMLs from people for small little things. Yeah. You know, you see people bitching and whining on the internet and I'm like, this woman who's literally dying is laughing in the face of death.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, that's beautiful. you know, it's funny. I, I, I have a, there's a weird relationship that I have with, like, death and, like, with, like, bad things in life because they inevitably end up being the largest catalyst uh, in my own personal life in order to, like, propel me forward, right? And it's it's an unfortunate byproduct of, like, the sort of major negative events in your life. Like, they can be wildly powerful and transformative, but it, it's unfortunate they've they've got to be associated with, like, a, a large loss, Um but it's weird that that those instances end up being, you know, tremendous in, in growth. Um, and the other thing that I, I, I laugh at a lot is that, like, when I think about, like, all the shit that I've dealt with in my life, it pales in comparison to people, like, who have ongoing cancer treatments, who are terminally ill, who have actual real... Real life problems. Um, I think the the greatest lesson I've learned as I've gotten older and I've you know gone through my thirties is that if you have your health and you have your friends and your family are healthy, like there's really nothing else that you need to be worried about. Sure, you got to pay your bills, you got to fucking pay rent, you got to you know pay for gas. Like all these things are like issues and and nuances of life, right? But as long as you are able to wake up every morning and you have your health and the people you love have their health. Is there really anything else that needs to be concerned about?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like you, you you're, you've won the lottery there. Yeah. You have a roof over your head. You have friends and family. They're healthy. Um, and if, you know, they're not healthy. You're helping to take care of them.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's one of those things where it's like you, it's the benefit of life. Like as you get older that you, your circle of things that matter gets increasingly smaller in such a remarkably beautiful way. Like there's yeah. nothing else that's more important to me than the happiness of my friends and family. And like also weirdly strangers on the internet. Like if I see people who are like tweeting, like they're super depressed or negative or stuff, I DM people all the time. Like if you need to talk like DM me, my DMS are open. Like I I've, I think everyone has been in the position in their life where they are immensely unhappy feeling alone. And it's the most relatable experience to feel as a human being. And I like to be able to just try to let everyone know that this is something that a millions and millions and billions of people go through and and you're not alone. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things that you, you learn a lot as you get older in life.
1: I'm definitely big on the, the, keep your head up tweet, the, the internet hug. Yeah. Uh, uh, an artist friend I know earlier today tweeted out that she felt like she was being flushed down the toilet. So I just hit her back and go, listen, I got a plunger. We're good. Yeah, so <laughs> she appreciated that. it. It's like, yeah, come on. We all feel that way sometimes.
0: Yeah. You know, so, I, I think there's we're, we're, we're getting towards a societal shift where mental health is becoming a more recognizable problem. Um, And the solutions of being able to talk about the things that we feel is becoming more acceptable. So if you're feeling alone, and you're feeling sad, and you're feeling depressed, it's, it's more okay now for people to like actually say it out loud. Um, and I think that's, that's a wonderful thing and it's, it's hopefully going to get better with time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the hardest thing is for, you know, especially like, you know, men, it's so taboo for us to talk about our feelings and talk about how we may or may not be happy or what we're going through. Right. Like I'm sure if If I'm you know, if you're, if you're sitting in your position, you're diagnosed with testicular cancer, there's like a lot of thoughts in your mind like, oh, I don't want to tell anybody about this. like this is an immensely private personal battle. Um, like these, there are things where like you don't have to suffer through experiences like this in life alone. and I'm the I'm best
1: ha- thing I did was tell people about it. Yeah, the best thing I did was make a Facebook post that told everybody about it. One of the things I am terrible at, and uh, I do not take this advice enough, but I am terrible at asking for help. Yeah, I'm I'm a guy and I'm an only child. Mm -hmm. So and I'm Gen X. Yeah. So it's like (laughs) I am extremely self-reliant. It's like, yes, leave me home alone at 12. I can run the house. (laughs) But (laughs) and that sort of thing of like, hey, this is what I'm going through. I'm going to get through it. You know, but then people reaching out and coming and helping. It was just like, it's okay to accept help. It's okay to even ask for help Mm -hmm. because that's what other people are there for. Yeah, Like that is what friendship, community, and the crazy thing is some people I thought would be very close and and doing a lot for me fell off. But other people who are almost just acquaintances at that point did a ton. Yeah, it's like so. You 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 develop different types of friendships at that point. Yeah, I think um, it, it, someone's always going to be there. Hopefully. Yeah, it's
0: a, it's a byproduct of age too, right? Like you you start weeding the people in your life. Like the circle gets smaller. Like I said, um, and those people who are truly there for you, wholly just on their own with no agenda and no byproduct of what that that experience can be like for anything other than yourself is 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 beautiful. Honestly, it's it's wonderful.
1: Absolutely. So yeah, if you're listening to this and you are down in the dumps for any reason, so just tweet it out. Like, hey, someone give me a phone call, yeah. you know?
0: Yeah. Someone send me a DM. I, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. Um, I, I think it's like the, the Jersey gloom or the New York gloom. It's been raining for like nine days in a row. I had the uh, most- has been
1: super lovely. the night <laughs> for, for the entire week.
0: Yeah. I was like, you know, it, it's miserable out. So I was, I had the- the best work weekend of my life. I were, I shot a show Thursday night. I was in Boston shooting a show Friday night. I shot a army football game Saturday afternoon. I shot a concert at mercury lounge Saturday night. And then I went to the giants game on Sunday. It was like such a beautiful weekend of life, right? Like I did everything I could hope for. I got paid for it. Like fucking, it was great. And then I found myself sitting at home on a Tuesday night. It was raining and depressing. And I was like, man, I was like, I'm kind of lonely. And I had a conversation with a friend of mine and I was like, it's wild that in 2022 where we have immediate access to tens of thousands, millions, billions of people, we could still feel alone. And it's, it's just a very normal thing. Like if you're not seeing anyone in your home and you're alone, it's totally normal to feel that way. And just being able to reach out and have a conversation with someone about that made me feel a lot better. And even though it's shitty out today, I feel a lot better.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, Phone calls are still really great for lots of things, including being a, a natural upper.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's wild. Um, talk to me a little bit about some of your artistic um, influences as a writer. Um, I find that I go back to the well a lot with the, the a lot of writers that I I read, both you know uh, you know art, article wise and author wise. Um, do you have any particular in in you know? Whether it's a feature writer or, or or a novel writer that you are just a, a big fan of,
1: I am not. Uh, I'm a fan of a lot of writers, mm-hmm. but <laughs> uh, my favorite form of writing is the biography or autobiography. Nice. So while it's not a specific writer, uh, again going back to that human element, human interest deep dive. I will pick up an autobiography or biography of pretty much any musician. That's cool. And and dive into that, Um, also music history books. And other than that, I have the whole other section of my life, which are all baseball history books and baseball autobiographies. So (laughs) those, those are the two things that take up all of my library for the most part <laughs> yeah
0: that's cool do you when like so as a writer you, you have a built a career for yourself that is in in you know involving multiple articles a week that you write multiple features that you have um, columns etc um, do you aspire to write another novel do you aspire to do biography work do you have any of those sort of long-term projects in mind?
1: I would welcome writing a biography for an artist or even ghostwriting. Uh, an autobiography for an artist that that is something I think I could do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, a buddy of mine just did that for someone, so uh, it's it's cool. It's definitely a long term project. Uh, those take a while, but I would be more than more than ecstatic to do that. Um, I feel like my my circle of artist friends are are almost exclusively indie artists, <laughs> so. <laughs> it might be a tougher sell as much as i love them to death and i write about them all the time uh but if if one of them were to blow up major leagues, sell millions of albums and someone to say hey we want your autobiography i i think there are quite a few people that would be like hey i'm calling adam to do this
0: awesome that's and, cool.
1: and that that would be cool i'd also like to work on uh some more philosophical things about life um that's something you end up thinking about a lot when you uh I guess for lack of a better term, is kind of cheat death. Yeah. So um doing deep dives into that. I also minored in philosophy as an undergrad. So that kind of the unanswerable questions interest I, uh, me a lot.
0: The existentialism uh genre of of books I have been diving into a, a deep dive into lately. Um because I think beyond discovering what makes me happy in life the only other question i really need to have answered is like what the fuck am i doing here
1: (laughs) basically yeah and it's funny dive into that all the time with (laughs) lots of people and it's just uh that's actually a project i've been working on it's a long-term project where someone's like oh when are you going to be done with that i'm like when i five years 10 years (laughs) i don't know like this isn't you know this isn't a series of novels this is trying to figure this stuff out yeah, um, but I've get I've done some very interesting answers um, to that. So what do
0: you have? I mean, give it to me.
1: Well, I, I've already spoken with fifty different artists about this. Wow. Um. So I right now what I'm trying to do is, I'd like to get it up to 200 to 250, mm-hmm. and then sort of figure out if there's any sort of common thread mm-hmm. or threads more than likely
0: like where that the story run through is. these
1: Yeah, they run through these concepts in people's minds. Although uh, my buddy Homeboy Sandman, he pointed out that, you know, previous civilizations all had a meaning of life. We're sort of backwards and that we're searching for it. And part of me wonders if some of it has to do with all the technology and all the other things around us and our you know, for the most part, nine to five work week and People who feel the need to upgrade everything in their lives. It's like how much of this stuff is now taking up the time that previous civilizations were just like, no, we have the meaning of life. It's none of that crap.
0: Yeah. Well, when the, when your problems really boil down to like where am I going to eat and find food for this evening, the, uh, you know, the wonder of it all is is not really there, right? There's, yeah.
1: You don't care about what dish you're eating it off
0: of. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. because I, I, it is it is uh, there is some duality to the fact that as we ever you know as we grow technologically as a society we get closer and closer to being able to like maybe answer that question. Um, I just think it's a remarkable concept um, and a an and extremely thought. Invoking um, discussion because to me, like I've spent a lot of time thinking about why am I here and what's the point to it all, and ultimately I really just boil down to like I'm just meant to live my life and like I'm here to do the things that make me happy and you know survive, right? Like there's no, there doesn't need to be a big you know, party in the sky when it's all said and done, but, like, I believe there's something when we, di- when we die. I think at, at the, the ultimate question of who we are and why we're here will probably not be answered until it's all over. Like, I, I can't imagine that we will discover, you know, the question, let alone the answer to what it all means.
1: And if we do, and someone tweets it out, it's going to be flagged for misinformation. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: that's what's going to happen. <laughs> that was very good, Adam. That was very good. <laughs> I like that a lot. Very true. Very true.
1: Unfortunate but true.
0: <laughs> Unfortunate but true. It's one of those things though, like you know, I I do wonder if these are Answers to questions that you can only get as you get older, right? Like, so I just look at the beauty of life a lot more clearly as I've gotten older. And I don't know if it's because I've lost people in my life or any of the ups and downs that I've dealt with, but I have a greater appreciation for each day. And I spend a lot more time being conscious of the fact that I'm lucky. Um, And I think ultimately that comes with time, right? Like when I was 25 and I was fucking around and, and doing dumb shit, I didn't think about life, right? Like I was just living it. Pretty much yeah
1: that is the 20s that that's all of our 20s is <laughs> you know you're living life but you're not actually thinking about anything yeah let alone the repercussions of your actions
0: yeah i was just going to say that any sort of life repercussions are, are so back of your head that um that it's never even you know remotely considered um for sure
1: when uh, you think about how often people are hung over <laughs> in their 20s, That's how little they think about repercussions, that they're not thinking about how they're going to feel six hours from now.
0: Yeah, right. They're just going to do it again the next morning anyway. (laughs)
1: Exactly. The next day or two days from now, they're, oh, let's do it again. That's our 20s and that's fine. Our 20s are for screwing up.
0: Yeah, I I did a lot of that, plenty of that. Um, But again, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I, I I don't know if it's the benefit of age or time or, you know, introspective therapy, but um, I think all of the, the ups and downs that you have in life ultimately lead you to places where you're supposed to be and conversations that you're supposed to have and jobs that you're supposed to have and people you're supposed to be with. And if you can sort of ascribe any sort of cosmic significance to even the mundane things in life, it could be a lot easier for you.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. My, my big thing is I just I feel like I'm supposed to help in whatever capacity I can. And, you know, for me, I'm associated with a a charity called Emmerman Angels, and they have a database of cancer survivors. And if someone comes to them with, either themselves having cancer or a family member, they connect them with someone who survived the same type to help mentor them through what they're going to go through. And I have I haven't done it through them, actually, but I've done it through Facebook, of all things. Uh, uh, An artist's mother hit me up was going through cancer and was like, Hey, um, could I talk to you about this? And I was like, absolutely. So I, I helped her, um, get through it. And honestly, sometimes, a- and as we were talking about earlier about depression and some of these things, sometimes it's just about listening to somebody. Yeah. And assuring them that like totally normal to feel that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally normal. I'm glad you brought that up. It is, uh, listening is an incredibly powerful tool. Um, there was like that old joke, like God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. So like listen twice as much as you talk. Um, But yeah, you know, I think therapy is one of the things that have changed my life tremendously. Just being able to talk to someone and have them just hear what I'm saying and not form any sort of opinion or judgment about the things that I'm saying has been huge for my growth as a human being. So if you could just do that for your friends or your family, just think about the impact that you can have on them. It's so often that we feel like we can't talk about stuff. Um, Yeah, it's so tremendous. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Well, this conversation went way far away from music.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the beauty of these conversations, Adam, truly. Uh, I think that when you look at, you know, we're two strangers who have met two times in our life and we're able to spend an hour talking about the the beauty and the simplicity and and the wild ups and downs of life. um, I think it's very informative on who we are as a species and what we can be, which is hopefully a lot better than we currently are.
1: Absolutely, and I think we're we're starting to get better. I feel like there's less trolls on the internet, or if they're there, we're not seeing them as much.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's. I think the the human consciousness has just grown tired of of just negativity. Like you start seeing it in every really really aspect of life, Um, and, and. you know fingers crossed we actually get there you know it's the news is a scary place but you know i do agree i think we are we're on the cusp of of a of a shift in human consciousness of like the way we go about leading our lives that's both wildly exciting and terrifying at the same time
1: which normally those things go
0: they certainly do um adam i am uh, immensely appreciative for you uh giving me your time today and coming on the podcast um i have a really cheesy line if you've been on my podcast you're part of my family um so thank you for coming on i uh i thank you so very much and appreciate your time
1: i'll be your your mets friend cousin you don't talk about to other people
0: (laughs) (laughs) that sounds great man thanks so much
1: thank you so much
0: take care